You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Yeah, go go ahead. I'm talking about things as you're adjusting knobs. Are you good? Yes, I don't know. I don't know. It's still weird turning knobs and you don't know. No. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Let's go. That's you know Ezra says that all the time now. I think it's from Dude Perfect. Anytime like he scores a basket or wins a game. Let's go. All right. Here we go. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Behind the Message with Jason and Chris. Here it is. We are on. Uh, uh, fast forward for this episode because Chris has a dinner date with his parents. Can you think I can unplug that? You think it's gonna mess anything up? I don't know. We are now in limbo. Looks like it works. All right, we'll be fine. If it doesn't record, we'll be back next week because <laughs> we're not gonna redo it. I know that. Um. All right. Well, let's get started here. Um. With not with the text just yet, this or uh, intro random question that's very relevant. You know, how do you reach people without talking about what people are watching on TV? Right. That was sarcasm. All right, uh, Chris, Mandalorian or Cobra Kai? What would you recommend to people to that watch that kind of stuff? When I opened this document, yeah, and I looked at this question, I was highly disappointed. Why? For weeks, you've been doing good on the intro and the conclusion questions, and then I opened it. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> I thought they were good questions. I thought I put that down. And I thought I bet he'll like that. I didn't. I I'm a know. fan of both. I don't even know you. You got to pick, though. I, you, they're not even in the same... They're not even like on the same... This is not even the same universe. This is not like... Okay. People that that stream TV shows, and you were, they were like, should I watch Mandalorian or Cobra Kai first? What would you tell them? Mandalorian. All right. See? See how easy that is? Well, no, it is, a, it is a, it like no, it is a hard question. Because <laughs> I, I put, I think, I think Cobra Kai is more fun, especially if you grew up with Karate Kid. Um, yeah. It it just hits all the spots. But Mandalorian is the better show. If see, I put, I didn't know how you were coming at this. If you were asking me about the newest season of of Mandalorian, I would say Cobra Kai first because I thought episode one was garbage and useless. Well, I was going to bring up episode one of Mandalorian because... Well, well, of la- the new season. Actually, last night after the Elder meeting, before I watched that show that you told me to watch, yes. I sat on my recliner and I told you I had my sliced banana right. with peanut butter on top. They were perfect. I made them... I mean, it was, <laughs> it was perfect. And uh, I was like, ooh, I'm going to watch the new Mandalorian. And then I realized it's Tuesday. That comes out on Wednesday. Yes. So, so, I, so I didn't watch the new episode today. So, I don't so the first episode, when the little alligator thing comes mm-hmm. out, a I little, was like, but okay. Yeah, but I was like, this is not. This is dumb. But then, then he comes in, shoots him down, and then uh, Grogu pops up, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's cute. 
But the I, whole the whole scene was useless, though. Yeah, it was useless. But I'm not. This is why I'm saying Cobra Kai has been more fun. But the Mandalorian, when he's he's talking and uh, Grogu's in the chair, just spinning slowly. Yeah, that's hilarious. I like that. He just get moving his. You know, so it's been more um, fun. But no, I did finish this current season that's out of Cobra Kai. I just did, finished it we last week. Talked. Did you like it? I did. I did. I did. I really enjoyed that, it. That was the best season. There, um, there are some things in that show that just spike my anxiety. I just can't. I don't know what it is. I can't more put than, my finger more on than it. Scott's tots. I can handle Scott's tots. Now, I think season two of Cobra Kai was the worst for that. I could not stand that entire season. Yeah, the current season wasn't bad. There was a few moments, but I, overall, I loved it. I thought it was a really good yeah. good season. I hate to see. I think the next season is going to be it. Is what they're saying. It has to be, I think. Yeah. So, yep, it's been a lot of fun, especially your Karate Kid. I loved, I've loved them all, other than the Hillary Swank one. I yeah. didn't care for that Karate <laughs> Girl. Um, but you know, at least looking back, they they found a solid actress for it. But yeah, you just can't. No, it's just, I mean, you talk about shows that have have that brought all those people from those previous movies back, and in yeah. a good way. The way they've done it has been yeah. awesome. Better than. Uh, Will Smith's Karate Kid. Remember that one? Oh, with his kid. Yeah. His kid. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I don't think I ever watched Ooh, well, it. You know what? It was, was Jackie, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan. I'm a big Jackie Chan fan. It was like, yeah, but it was a Karate Kid. I mean, it's yeah. I don't think I've watched a I Jackie remember. Chan movie and thought I didn't like that. <laughs> I love it all. I love all of his I, every Rush Hour, all of them. Yep. All right. Let's keep going. Let's let's not keep going. Let's get started yeah. with the Bible. <laughs> First, First Samuel 13, 1 through 15. Probably the shortest of the Bible verses we've studied in a while. It's not the whole chapter. No. I People, people are going to either get a small little section of Scripture for this coming Sunday or a lot, like the most they've gotten. <laughs> I haven't decided yet. So you heard it here, folks. I almost ended this part of the Samuel series um, today, and I was like, "Well, we'll pick it up after Easter." But I've decided, no, let's let's finish what this little part, and then we'll pick it up after Easter. But so that's where things are going. What? <laughs> it's in her backyard. Alex just sent that to me. Is it dead? I guess. Tell her to hit it with a stick. Yeah. <laughs> For reference, because people, this isn't a video podcast. Chris just got a text message from his daughter that there is a dead-looking raccoon in their backyard. Actually, don't get that close with the stick. Throw throw a rock at it or something. She's out there with the dog. Well, what's that dog gonna do? Is he gonna? I get rabies. That's why I said to keep away from it. I was like, just keep away from it. I'll we'll keep everyone posted. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. All right. First Samuel 13, 1 through 15. 13, 1 through 15. How is Saul like Adam? There were, what, were there four things or three? Three and a, um, no, four. Four in a summary. All right. Here we go. One, like Adam, Saul is put into a place of leadership. So first one for you. How are men called to lead today? Uh, the same way they have always been called by God's word, by his word. Um, you said in your message that leadership 
is a God ordained calling for men. So, yeah. I didn't like point one, just for the record. If 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 everyone in that listen to that sermon thought, I don't know, I don't really love point one. I I like the truth of point one, but I didn't like the way it flowed in the oh. rest of the message. But that's my own. I mean, hey, it's we're doing behind the message. message. We got to be able to. <laughs> there you go. My random thoughts, but um, question for you, Jason: Why or what does a godly husband look like? Well, I look at him every day in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yikes. I know. Um, let me read. Actually, when I was when I saw that question, well, I wrote it, but when I saw it again um, for this, it reminded me of a wedding I did. And I think I can answer this question with the message I gave in the wedding. So this was... Uh, I read Ephesians 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So this is wedding. Um, it was the girl was in youth group. When I was there, and she, before we moved, she said, "Whenever I get married, you're gonna come back and do my wedding." And I was like, "Yeah, sure, Megan." <laughs> and, uh, and then I forgot, and I was like, "She's like, hey, well, I'm calling you on it. I'm getting married." And I'm like, "I did say that, didn't I?" Uh, but I love, I love her. I love their family, their whole family to death. And um, so she got married during COVID, and mm. it just. And, kind of ruined it was a beautiful ended up being perfect but it yeah. like it, it was in illinois and of course illinois is con, was controlled by tyrants at times and um so like they we had we could only have so many people in the church so we did this little wedding and there were literally family and friends standing outside of the church wow. yeah welcome to illinois at times and wow. so but it was perfect. Um, it ended up being it working out really well. But anyway, so this I did this message during that wedding, and I read Ephesians, and I gave three challenges to the bride and groom. So I modified some of this, but it says, uh, "Love your uh, wife like Christ loved and died for the church." Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's your love for your wife should reflect that kind of affection. Your love your wife with deep emotional affection but also a self-sacrificing action so whatever the day choose to love love your wife well so that everyone can look at your marriage and see how much christ loves the church Um, and then two i put uh, cleanse your marriage by committing to the scriptures that's what a godly husband does this is that's the heart of verse 26 that uh, i shared that the church the church cannot be cleaned up by better programs or strategies. The church can't uh, can only be cleaned up by the teaching of the word. Mm-hmm. Likewise, with your marriage, it will not be purified by buying nice things or uh, as a husband just because you uh, do nice things for your wife or buy whatever she wants doesn't mean you're, you're 
cleansing your marriage or making your marriage pure. Um, marriage is only purified by committing to the scriptures in every aspect of life. So uh, I challenge the couple to stay committed to reading your Bible as yeah. individuals so you can be strong as a couple. I'd say that same for a godly husband. You want to be a godly husband, well, you have to not depend on your wife's faith, but your own faith. Um, uh, I said a few more things, but we'll go to point three. Uh, I, I said stand together on the promise of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, so church is made holy by the death and resurrection of Christ. It's his work, not our own. Um, marriage is a reflection of how much Christ loved the church, but marriage is also a reflection of how much we need Christ. Um, so I think as a godly husband, you're trying to model the gospel in your own marriage, which means you're quick to repentance. Mm -hmm. Like you're quick to ask for forgiveness. Um, you're quick to point yourself and your wife to the hope of the gospel. Um, and then likewise, it's godly husbands have an opportunity to show what it means to be a godly husband to everyone else. Yeah. Um, that's a huge one. But just I, I mean, as you know, like just in church life, you know how many how many godly husbands do we have in our community, um, in our country? Like you have a unique opportunity to be an example to someone else to show that like you can do it. It does work, um, and you can be a respectable. Christ follower that loves his wife. Um, so, and, you know, still be fun to hang out with. So, <laughs> anyways, that was my challenge. I obviously said more than all just that in the wedding ceremony, but um, I talked about COVID a lot. I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I did say something about a pandemic, but um, just because it was like, this wasn't their wedding. This wasn't what they wanted for their wedding right. day. Um, but... Um, yeah, I love, love that family. I was real close with her brother, Kyler, who's, um, I would meet with him, like, I think, like, we, I think we went through the book of James. We would go through, like, books together. Uh, he was in high school, like, junior, senior in high school, and I'd go to meet with him at, um, was it Third Street Station? It was, like, a little ice cream little joint in Pecatonica, Illinois, and we'd sit down and I'd have a few thoughts on James and he'd like pull out a journal and have like three pages. Is this I'm the like, guy that was in your sermon a while back? No. Oh. Ooh. He was the other student that's okay. doing well. Okay. Yeah, he's not an atheist. <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't referring to that one. Oh, um, no? Yeah. The one where we're talking about, I, took, I went to a conference and... One student was taking a bunch of notes. Kyler was that one okay. student. Yeah, he's okay. a youth pastor. I mean, he's working in a church. Yeah, yeah okay. he's a way better Christian than I am. He's he's been he's just I have so much respect for Kyler. He's always uh, I'm like, what do you do for fun? He's like, I just you know drink coffee and read my Bible. I'm like, do you go like bowling or you know just yeah? And I think he's got. Two kids now? Well. Yeah, I, I love that family. They're a great family. <laughs> um, so, all right. Uh, for you, what does a godly father look like? I got the husband part 
Take it away for Father. All right, here are a few characteristics of a godly father. Um, I would say first and foremost, a godly father knows God, uh, has a relationship with God. Um, springing off of that, a godly father prays, I would say not only for his children, but for himself, uh, that he's seeking godly wisdom, patience, strength, uh, and guidance um, from our Heavenly Father. I uh, say a godly father loves his children. A godly father disciplines his children. Uh, a father teaches. Uh, a God, as you mentioned under the husband, a godly father also sets a good example for his children to follow. And I think a godly father is consistent. Um, hmm. There are many more items that could be added to this list, but it's just a few. Man, that... Um, I was... I think it was a podcast, Pastor Well, with Herschel York. I'll listen to it occasionally just because it's like 10 minutes. Um, He talked about being a a good pastor, a good leader, and he talked about consistency. And that was Mm -hmm. a good reminder even just as a father. Like, are you going to be... Like, your kids need consistency. You know, they need that. They don't need, like, dad's this way one day and... You know, they don't need to guess what kind of dad you're going to be when you come From home. From day to day, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's huge in any area of leadership, but certainly as a, as a dad. So, Jason, how, how are we all called to lead the gospel forward? Sorry, I skipped down quite a bit. Second uh, Corinthians 5, starting in 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us. I read this on Sunday to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to message of reconciliation. Likewise, in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon mm-hmm. you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, to the end of the earth. So all Christians are called to minister. Because all Christians receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and simply, like, we are called to take the gospel forward wherever we're at first. Um, certainly as a parent, we've talked about you're taking that at home. Like, you're taking the gospel home to your marriage, to your mm-hmm. kids, um, to your grandkids. You, take, you move the gospel forward at home, at school, work, community, and then to the ends of the earth. Uh, and I guess the question, the self-reflection question is, how are we doing in that? Um, give an example. I don't know if they listen to this podcast, but uh, some friends had been inviting people to church. And I just, like that, that's, it's simple, but it, I mean, it's just a good way that like they're using their their group to get people connected to the church in ways that I couldn't do that on my own. Mm. And they made a joke about like, well, I guess we're doing our your job for you or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, get, I quoted them about equipping the saints for the ministry. But, um, it's your job too. Yeah, yeah. My job, is, my job is to do it, but my job primarily is to equip other people to do it. That's what I would tell students. Like, as a youth pastor, I'm like, do you think the most effective answer of student ministry is to have some random 30 year old with a beard that they don't know come to your school and invite them to my youth group 
or have you who they trust and know, like you get them connected. You share the gospel with them. It's not that I can't or that I won't, but it, it's far more effective when you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of that, that leadership. I mean, I know some people are certainly called to lead in ways that others are not, but we're all called to lead the gospel forward in whatever context that we're in. Um, there's a thousand more things to say about that, but <laughs> let's go to point two. Like Adam, Saul is quick to fail. So Jason, who took out the Philistine garrison? Jonathan. All right. Um, next. <laughs> next. <laughs> Some of this is a recap. Why did Saul take credit for that victory? Um, well, he was king. So in, in a way, the victory for him, it was a victory for him as well, you could say. I guess you could make a case. Um, That's I true. Mean, it could be that he wanted to rally Israel to his side. I mean, they weren't too keen to fight in the first place. Um, it could have been because of pride, uh, but I think ultimately it was probably his heart. And it's to, it's a very important to note from what we read in the scripture that he did not give glory to God f- right. for this victory at all. Right. So, yeah, I think it's um, so much of the an- those answers. Some of it's just speculation. That's yeah. why I wasn't going to preach a lot on it on Sunday. But um, yeah, it, it does seem like man, this we're starting to slowly see Saul's heart here. Yeah. And I guess you see it pretty quick throughout First Samuel. But um, So back to you, Jason. How big was the Philistine army that came out against the Israelites? Well, the Bible says 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops. Um, I mentioned on Sunday to ruin everyone's day <laughs> that there, there does seem like there's enough uh, discrepancies and just logically, but certainly in the Hebrew manuscripts, that it's probably three thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen and troops, which would put that three times the size of what Saul had. Um, this is, seems too long. I have a whole lot of information to share on the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, Should I share this stuff? <laughs> Man, I don't know. Let me think through that. Um, well, I'll say while you're figuring yeah, it you out, go ahead. I jokingly said something to you after church about that. But when I was getting um, when I was getting this together in my study Bible, it has a little note what is it, at what, the bottom that says what is it's it about three thousand instead of it was more like three thousand than thirty thousand. <laughs> well, let's talk about inerrancy because um, sometimes. So here, here's how I mentioned, I, and I mentioned it on Sunday when you brought that up. Like, I grew up in a church where the, the preacher's like, everyone put your Bible in the air. And we all like, you know, no one had a smartphone then. So if you brought a Bible, you put it in there, and he said, every word in this is true and accurate and without error. And in many ways, I get that. Like, in, mm. But then as you begin to study Scripture, um just basic hermeneutics or a Bible class in Bible college, you you start to not see contradictions or holes in Scripture. You just see that there's more to it than just that. Um, you know, there's 
is it the end of Mark's gospel where like we're not even sure if that is in the original manuscripts, but it's in everyone's Bible. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think, was it in our last church? Like, I don't think Bob, I think Bob was just like, I'm not even going to teach on that because huh. we're not even sure if that's in the original manuscripts. So let me talk about inerrancy, uh, and I'll shorten all my other answers for this. Uh, this is from Ligonier. In- yep. Inerrancy means, just to give us a definition, means that Scripture does not affirm any errors. The Bible does not endorse anything untrue. When it tells history, it tells us what actually happened. It may report on what a person said when he told a lie to someone else, but it does not endorse the lie. Right. Um, it merely is giving an accurate report of what the liar said. When it speaks to science, it does not contradict God's revelation in the natural world. In sum, the Bible is entirely truthful and has no errors at all in the original manuscripts that the prophets and the apostles actually wrote. We do not today possess these manuscripts, but through the process of textual criticism, we can recover the original wording of the manuscripts with a high degree of certainty. And there is a ton to say more on that. Maybe I'll... I I keep bringing up, like, I might do a how to study your Bible class again in the summer and touch more on that just to have, like, how do we get the Bible? How do we trust the Bible? All that. Um, When we talk about, well, if that number is incorrect, can we trust anything in the Bible? And I would say we believe in the inerrancy of the original manuscripts, which we don't have. And then all the naysayers would be like, well, how do you trust something when you don't even have the original manuscripts? And I think, as it mentioned, through textual criticism, you can even see the older, like you see errors that progress along the way. But if the older and older of the manuscripts we have, you see less and less errors going back to the trustworthiness of the original manuscripts. So I say all that to say, yeah, it does seem like it was an uh, an error that was made um, over time that in the original manuscript, it should say 3,000, uh, both logically and what we see. But people are like, yeah, but you didn't cover this, and what about this? And I'm like, I get it. That's not what this, it was just one question. Yeah. So we'll go over that at some point. Um, <laughs> all right. How did Saul fail to lead in chapter 13? Well, for one, he couldn't couldn't keep his army together. I mean, some fled, some hid, and the ones that did remain were trembling. And then Saul waited for seven days for, for Samuel to have the Lord bless the army before the battle. Uh, but Samuel did not show, so Saul failed uh, to follow God's command. And Saul offers the sacrifices and breaks the commandment of the Lord. It's true. It's true, guys. He's just going to keep messing up. Speaking of messing up, how did Adam fail in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, Jason? Two obvious ones. He ate the fruit mm-hmm. that God told them not to eat. The The... One that's not as obvious but should be is that he failed to lead. Yeah. 
Um, you know, that running joke in all of small churches across America is like, you know, Eve's, you know, the woman's the problem because she's the one that ate the fruit. But when you look at the text, who's standing there the whole time? I mean, it it mentions that Adam is there with them during all of the that yeah. little conversation with the serpent. Everything it's written to show like Adam is there, and he said nothing. I think that's probably even such a more graver grave is graver. Oh, uh, a more grave, a more grave um, <laughs> error than just the regular disobedience. Like yeah. not only was he also disobedient, he allowed it to happen. And it goes back to even just being a godly husband. Like are you just gonna let your wife knowingly sin in front of you and not even say anything? Like I know you can't in a marriage you can't control the other person. Right. But to never like say, Hey Eve, remember what God told us to do? <laughs> Two seconds and ago. what not to do? <laughs> How about you don't do that? And maybe she said, you know what? Forget you. I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah. Well, at least he would said something, and he could also say, well, I'm not going to do it. And he failed on both fronts. Yeah. So failed to lead, and he ate the fruit. Yeah. Why is it helpful to know? This is where it gets fun. Why, why is it helpful to know you're not the only one wrestling with sin? Well, it's good to know that you're not alone. I mean, um, we don't have to face it alone. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can lean upon. Uh, we have others that can relate to the sin issue that we find ourselves in. Um, but ultimately, we should take ownership over our sin and bring it to the Lord ourselves. Yeah, that's good. Not alone. You're not alone. What's the What's the difference between wrestling with sin? And living in sin. And real quick, sorry, before you look this up or answer, when I was doing my, I always look things, I I told you a thousand times, I like question everything I do. So I, um, I looked up that previous question and, um, this YouTube video of a wrestling match was one of the responses. (laughs) (laughs) But go on. Did you watch all of it? (laughs) You didn't watch all of it? I saved it for later. (laughs) All right. Well. I did something on Sunday I don't usually do, but I polled the audience. Yep. We'll do it occasionally, but um, I just asked people to raise their hands if they wrestled with sin. And um, Now, there's a few reasons why people don't raise their hands. Uh, the obvious one, hold on, let's, let's get a... No, she just liked my last message, sorry. Oh, we were looking for a raccoon update <laughs> at Chris's house, but... Um, some in a poll, like in a church service, sometimes you just checked out, and then everyone's raising their hands. And you're like, I don't, you're like I've been in there where I'm like, I'm not raising my hand because I don't know what I'm signing up for, um, or you're confused by the question, or just disagree. Um, but someone in the church messaged me, uh, I guess that Sunday, mm-hmm. and asked me about it, and um, and it wasn't really it's it, it wasn't a disagreement. They just had to explain why they didn't raise their hand. Mm. And so I thought it would be good to to clarify that because maybe other people struggled with that. Not clarify a poll because, you know, that's dumb. To clarify what is what is the difference here. Um, so the question geared 
on Sunday was towards believers that wrestle with sin. Uh, when Jesus tells the woman at the well to sin no more, he's speaking about her new identity in Christ. Like this is not this is no longer who you're going to be um, as a new creation. Now, when he gets when he gets done saying that, she doesn't run back into town and never sins again ever. Right. She's going to sin again. Um, I think there's plenty of scripture that would prove like she yeah she probably sinned again. Um, she's just not going to live in the same sin that she has been in, even if the consequences um, last a lifetime. Like people are might think less of her because of her life choices yeah. as long as she lives, but she's not going to live in that anymore. And I'd say like so I quoted Romans seven on Sunday where Paul he talks about like I I do what I don't want to do. That, yes. It's just this confusing conversation. There's commentators that try to explain away Romans 7 as, oh, Paul's just talking about his old life uh, before Christ, not now. Um, I I think, I adamantly disagree with that. I think he's describing his current battle with the flesh, a battle that we all have to face. So uh, the when I ask the church who's wrestling with sin, I'm not asking who's living in sin. Because um, if if that's how you heard that question, I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. Right. <laughs> you know, especially if you're not living in sin. If you're not living in sin, you know, I'm not trying to... Anyways, so the poll was, who wrestles with sin? And I would say the answer is we all do. Um, so what's the difference? This is basically, this is just kind of my response that I gave to the person. I thought it was helpful enough to share um, in the podcast. But how do we know the difference between wrestling and living in sin? Um, to live in sin is to live an unrepentant life. Mm-hmm. To wrestle with sin is to strive for righteousness. We're called to be holy like he is holy. But then run to the cross when we fail. Uh, so I'd say... If we're not wrestling, if we're like, I never wrestle with sin, I would say you're either an unbeliever mm-hmm. because an unbeliever doesn't have the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin. Like if you never feel convicted of sin in your life, it's starting to show proof that you probably don't have the Holy Spirit um, or you're dead. <laughs> like You're fully glorified <laughs> in eternity. You don't have those. You're not wrestling anymore. Um, and I, I brought up, um, I don't think I brought this up Sunday. Maybe I did. Oh, no, I did bring up First John. First John on Sunday. Uh, and how, like, if you say you have no sin, you're calling, yep. uh, you're deceiving yourself. Or you're calling him a liar. First John 1 to 8, it uses um, the present active indicative verb for have. Like, have in... Even as we read it, we can tell that's not past tense. Mm-hmm. Um, so although he does mention past tense sin later in that those verses, he's talking about a current reality for believers. Um, so th- none of this means like, I, I do think we have the power. We do have power over sin. We have it. We have eternal victory in Christ, but you also have power in the Holy Spirit to overcome a sin in your life. You just don't have power on this side of eternity to stop, like to cease sinning altogether on this side of eternity. 
Um, it's, oh, here's how I would explain it. I said, we are justified. So we're immediately declared righteous before holy God mm-hmm. in Christ. That's our new creaturehood. I made up that word. Um, <laughs> But we're being sanctified in Christ. Those are not just church history terms. Those are in your Bible. Being sanctified in Christ, which means we're constantly putting sin to death in our lives. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what it, it means to wrestle with sin. Like you're constantly, because you are a new creation, you're putting sin to death in your life uh, constantly. Yeah. Um, living in sin is just, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Um, so I think we all know the difference. So I just want to try to encourage people like, look, if you're wrestling with sin as a believer, um, and you're trying to put that to death in your life and you're repenting, that's a really good sign for you to come to church and like, you know, have sin in your life and just think, well, everyone struggles with that. It's fine. Like that's a dangerous thing to be. So All right, well, I got a lot more to say on that, but three, like Adam, Saul blames everything and everyone. Why do we blame our sin? Or blame, why do, oh, I didn't put that right, did I? Why do we yeah. blame others in our own sin? Well, it's easier to blame others than to take ownership of our That's own true. sin. Simple as that. It's true. Basically, it's an everyday thing that happens with my three kids <laughs> when kids yeah. are little do you, i wonder if like do you ever remember your kids owning their own sin as a little they were just always like it's everyone it's everyone else's fault. i don't even know that they do it now just <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's, it's a struggle for us all yeah. um yeah maybe it's some maybe some of that is just normal development because like kids are tend to be very concrete thinkers mm. until your brain develops more and you become more abstract so which is like when you're a teenager kid or a teenager you're like you just live inside your your brain you can't it's hard to see anything outside of that but then as you get older um even just biologically you begin to like see how your life impacts other That'd people and then you start to become more self-aware of your own garbage. Maybe that's the age of accountability. Should we go there? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Jason, what does Proverbs 21.2 mean? It says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. It's two sides of the same coin. We we are to blame for our own actions. Like it, it It's our own eyes that make that decision. It's yeah. through the, our own eyes. But likewise, it seems right in the moment. Like, even if it feels wrong, we think it's right. Like, we lie and deceive ourselves all the time. Yep. Um, which is Jeremiah times the heart is deceptive above all things. So, um, that's what it means. That every way of a man is right in his own eyes. And I think that's the most complicated part of sin. You know, you just you think it's good in the moment. Oh, yeah. it's, I mean, it goes back to the garden. You think it's good when you do it. Um, you might even think it's good after you do it until you realize it's not. Um, so the Lord is weighing the heart. 
like what 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 was really going on in your heart um so if you use the most obvious example of Adam and Eve, they thought it was good to eat that fruit. Yeah. And the Lord looks at the heart and says, you <laughs> you were not only deceived, but you rebelled against my commandment. Yeah. So, four, like Adam, Saul stands condemned. Back to back for you. Jason, why is everyone condemned before God? Well, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Death, it's hard to say death without an F. Death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Since we all sinned, we all deserve death. But as I mentioned Sunday, and even as we just talked about, we, we like to play that comparison game of our sin yeah. and our condemnation. like as if, as if our wages aren't as much as someone else's. And... Um, we all tend to do that. And, and, and I, I try to empathize with that because in many ways it's true, at least on this side of eternity. Like, yeah, maybe you aren't as bad as someone else. Um, but in this grand reality of eternity and you had a macro version of, of Christianity, it's not a matter of, uh, the level of offense, but who you offended. And so yep. any wage against sinful wage against the holy God is so offensive it deserves death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just changing that view in our uh, life. I didn't plan on... I rewrote the intro to this message several times. I rewrote... The conclusion. I didn't know what I was gonna do for a conclusion. Was that the last sentences? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I didn't know. That was just kind of a last second thing. And then the more I typed it out, the more I thought, "Oh, okay." This. I didn't plan on thinking like that all the way through. I mean, obviously, that's certainly the Holy Spirit and trying to just teach through the word. But I think it was the once I had typed it all out, I said, "Oh, that is super helpful to realize." Like. It's not just when you play that comparison game. You're like, at least I'm not yeah. this dirt bag that's in jail for thirty thousand years. Yeah, um, I looked some of those up today. And that did <laughs> it you? Was awful. Yeah, it's awful. awful. Well, that was the thing. Actually, that was the thing. I looked those up, and the as, this might be a good to share in the podcast. The offenses were so offensive. I felt like I couldn't share them on Sunday. Yeah, because it would have it would have been so distracting. Like these guys have done such terrible things that I felt like I couldn't read it on a Sunday. That's the point, you know? Like You look at that, and you're like, yeah, but at least I'm not them. Yeah. But the, the idea is like, it's just, it, it's not that level of offense. It's that you offended the holy God, mm-hmm. um, and which is gets to our summary point. Yeah. We need Jesus, the last Adam, to save us. Bring us home. How is Jesus the last Adam, according to Romans 5? 12 through 17, and 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Well, in a nutshell, Jesus reverses the curse of Adam, uh, where Adam fell short and brought sin upon us all and separated us from a holy God in the garden. Uh, Christ Jesus took our sin when he died on the cross and in turn redeems us before the holy God. Uh, So when we place our faith in Jesus and accept him, um, we need no other saving agent. He is the last Adam. There's no, there's no backup plan. There's no other 
That's it. That's all we need. Yeah. That's good. That's um that's very C. S. Lewis Narnia. Yeah. <laughs> it's always Christmas. Or it's always winter but never Christmas. <laughs> and then Aslan dies and reverses the curse and Yeah. You think C. S. Lewis was a universalist? What? I, I think he was, but I still like his stuff. All right. Um, what's the, <laughs> all right? Well, let me again. We always have to preface this. We're done. We're done. We made it. <laughs> oh, if you would have asked the question, I'm pretty sure they would have picked up on the fact that we were done. All right. Let me set this up, man. Please let do. Me set because... this up. All right. Let me set this up. So let me, I'll give the question and I'll set it up. So the question is, what's the best way to roast a marshmallow? <laughs> Here's the setup. This is what goes on my crazy brain. So last year, we um, Corey sold the chimney. We had a little chimney on the porch. It wasn't working out too well for what we needed. Kids were trying to cook marshmallows, but there's like one little opening in this chimney. It was a disaster. Um, so Travis, shout out to Travis. He bought it. Um, I think it works well for them, but they don't have like... 10 sticks of marshmallows in there at one time <laughs> so I, I went looking and i found this like gigantic um like fire pit i, I had a, i had a lowe's gift card and i bought this fire pit and set it up on our deck and we had some good fires but everyone i posted on facebook and everyone's like well you know enjoy burning your house down <laughs> you know <laughs> and i'm like what i'm like i put i put some like patio like little pavered stone things under it and everyone's just like you know it was nice knowing you so (laughs) it just made me nervous we put it in the shed for the winter but then now i i I think it's i don't even know if Corey's posted it yet she's just selling it and i bought a gas fire table (laughs) for the back porch that's way more safe and it's way easier. I just turn it on. The kids can cook their little marshmallows. So the other night, anyways, it's a, it was a great deal. Got an Academy of Sports and put it together and we started it. And I'm telling the kids, I'm like, look, this is a different thing. You can't drip your marshmallow into these blue rocks because that, that's going to be a mess. So we cooked marshmallows and it was a wonderful time. So that's why I was like, let's talk about this, because it's, it's about to be marshmallow roasting season, Chris. How do you go about it? That's the setup. Oh, well, that's not what I answered. I said fire. Obviously, just, with fire. Oh, my. Way. No, why do you, what's your process? Like, well, of course. Well, you put it on the stick, you set it on fire, you get it to actually burn, and then you, you blow it out. What did you, I mean, were you sticking your marshmallows in the microwave? No. Okay. No. No. Fire. All right. You set it on fire. You okay. let it blacken a little bit, and then you're not one of those patient fellows that no. get it real brown. And no, no, I'm right there with you. Set it on fire. Let yeah. it. That's what my kids are right there with like, you. My kids are like, if this thing's not on fire, uh, yeah. So, yeah, torch it up, torch it up. We've done. Uh, I th- Maybe I did bring this up at a podcast. Like Corey got, she got this crazy thing online, where like we didn't have marshmallows, but someone said to cook um, 
Starburst <laughs> over what? a fire. Really? Like Starburst candy. I know. Jeez. Did you do it? Yeah. How did it turn out? It's terrible. <laughs> It's terrible. It's just dumb. It's dumb. You know what it tastes like? It tastes like you tried to cook Starburst over a campfire. That's what it tastes like. If you did, if you thought that doesn't sound good, you're right. The only thing it does is like it. It kind of like caramelizes the outside, so it has like a little bit more of like a chew. Yeah, like a hard than real chewy center. And I'm like, I just. That just give me a marshmallow, man. Yeah, I will say we've done, and I'll stop talking about <laughs> all this, and we'll be done. But we went and got those Samoa cookie things, you know, like the chocolate chip. Is it some? Is that what they call them? Samoa? Nah, the way you looked at me make me. So I thought that was a Girl Scout cookie. Yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. I thought it had like caramel and chocolate on it, and like yeah, yeah, you can get knock, yeah, you can get yeah, knockoff. Yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. I just, I'm not, I, yeah, I wasn't right. following. I wasn't okay. checking. My I'm good. We're on. You get those. You can just buy them at the store. You don't have to wait for the Girl Scouts. <laughs> and we would, but see, that's the thing. It's like it's got all of it there with the chocolate. So you just need to get two cookies, roast your marshmallow, and then smash it in between two cookies. And that's and good. It's it's a home run, guys. It's better there than Starburst. <laughs> What's the given? So, um, we'd like to end with uh, a uh, warning to those that have fires that are un. You know, actually, this is a lot. That's why I tell Eliza because she's just explosively angry sometimes, and we always I'll have to like pull her aside and talk about Eliza. You have a fire inside of you, and that's a good thing. But what? What happens to a fire that's out of control? And she's like, it burns everything down. I'm like, yeah, that's what you're doing. <laughs> you're burning everything down. I said, but a fire that's controlled, what can you do? She's like, well, you can cook things on it, and it keeps mm-hmm. you warm. I'm like, yeah, see? Like, so the fire's good, but you got to keep that Boom. controlled here because you're killing us. <laughs> <laughs> actually, she's actually been really good, but mm-hmm. she... I mean, she just, I mentioned on Sunday, she just loses it on her brother. That was funny. It's like she was trying to prove that point all weekend, you know. Amen. All right. Did you pray last time? I don't know. I think you should. Okay. Right. Well, you tried to get me to pray all day yesterday. You didn't pray? Elder. I know. Yeah, you so. just kept looking. All right. <laughs> I didn't feel <laughs> led <laughs> to do so. No, I'll pray. All right. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, just thank you again that we can uh, get together and uh, have a good time, but mostly and more importantly, dive into your word and uh, dig into a little bit deeper. And uh, Just thank you for all that you do for us. Um, thank you for calling us to be leaders, uh, even though we do it badly <laughs> sometimes. Uh, thank you for uh, the ultimate leader and the ultimate redeemer, your son, Jesus, uh, for restoring us and uh, helping us to have uh, to even be able to talk to you and pray to you, dear Lord. Um, thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, continue to uh, guide us as we uh, try to uh, lead your church. Um, it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.